This is B-Side. I'm Andrea Seabrook, and I'm talking to, what's, tell me your name. Elizabeth Mandra. Tell me your full name. Elizabeth T. Mandra. <laughs> This show is about birth and rebirth and being born again and reincarnation and um, all of these kinds of ideas that you know a lot about, don't you? And pretty much because when I first got MS, I started reading about it. And one thing led to another, and it gave me a lot of answers to questions that I had. Multiple sclerosis, MS, is a disease that where your myelin sheath on your neurons mm -hmm. starts breaking down. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And did they know that much about it when you got it in the mid-50s? they didn't. Could f hardly find anything to read on that subject. I think that's why I went to all the other subjects. <laughs> How old were you when you got multiple sclerosis? 24. 24. I think it was 22 or 24. I can't remember. It's a long time ago. <laughs> what happened then? Do you remember when you, what did you start to notice? Well, when I would sit down, when I get home from teaching, I would sit down and I think, I can't get up. I just can't get up. I guess that was the first thing I noticed. And then my eyesight started to get bad. But the thing that was noticeable to other people when I was coming home from school one day, I would have to wait for a bus, and I was staggering, and I didn't notice it. I didn't realize it, but they said it was terrible, so I must have been out to lunch. <laughs> uh, so right after that, I, I did have a bad attack, and they put me in the hospital. What year is this, roughly? Oh, this, this is about... It was probably 54 that I got it because it was two years after we were married. When I was in the hospital, they would have all the interns come up and they thought that the spasms I was having in my legs must have been from trichinosis and that I must have eaten pork or something and they could see the worms crawling in and out my legs. Can you imagine? So that was kind of tiring right there. I bet. <laughs> so they told me to go home. Uh, that I wouldn't get better, this is planting bad seeds, and that I should just either sit or lay down and take a rest. Um, and you said that they, when you first got it in the hospital is where, you, in your words, they started planting bad seeds. Oh yes, the bad seeds were, you're going to go home and you're going to get worse. And I went home and I started to get worse. And I thought, this is awful. I don't like this. And then I thought to myself, I can do two things. I can get better, as, as better as I can, or I can just go with it. And that was it. <laughs> so um, I decided I would read all kinds of inspirational things, which was that helped me. And then one thing led to another, and I got into reincarnation, and that's how I got into that. So you, so as you were reading things, you started reading about spirituality in different ways you hadn't before? All I knew is if you have faith in something, it would turn out all right. And I also had read, in reading my first subject, which was spirituality, uh, 
that if you if you tell yourself something, it'll happen because the minute you tell your brain something, it's going to work it out for you. We have a story about a woman named Renee Gutel, who um, who also had some serious problems when she was a kid, and in a way, the way. I think some bad seeds were planted for her as well, Mm -hmm. and it ended up being part of how she lost her faith. So it's 1993, and I'm 15 years old, and I'm a very, very, very devout Christian. And not just sort of, you know, mainstream, average American Christianity, but specifically, um, my family and I belong to the Assemblies of God Church. At a very early age, three or four, I had invited Jesus into my life, specifically to live in my heart. Um, My father led me through what we call the sinner's prayer. Like, dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and that I'm powerless to choose between, between wrong and right, but I would like to invite your son Jesus Christ into my heart and uh, and follow your path. In Jesus' name, amen. And that meant that I was a born-again Christian. So my, my life is basically happy, except for one pr- pretty big detail, which is that I have really, really bad scoliosis. If you were to look at an x-ray of my back, it looks like an S. And if it gets worse in the most extreme cases, it can leave people kind of deformed and hunched over. And um, a lot of times the way that they treat extreme cases of scoliosis is with um, spinal fusion. And I had an orthopedic surgeon, and he wanted to avoid putting me through this surgery of spinal fusion because it's very painful. And so he put me in a... um, a fiberglass back brace. And I, I brought it with me, actually. And it's a big monstrosity. It's, um, it's, 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 it's huge. I wore this 23 hours a day. It was not fun. And I would go to my um, Christian youth groups on Wednesday night, and when they would ask for prayer requests, I would raise my hand and I would ask for, you know, for the strength to continue to, to wear this thing. The summer after my freshman year in high school, I um, went away to visit relatives that I had in Oklahoma City. One of the probably first things they noticed about me is that I wore this big, constricting, clunky, icky, grody back brace. And um, I remember one Sunday they, they introduced me to um, some friends of theirs, a couple. This couple told me that they had a gift from God and that this gift of God was the ability to heal people, and that they knew when somebody was um, in need of healing because they could see kind of like an aura around people, like a spiritual aura. And they told me that looking at my spiritual aura, they could see that it wasn't well and that it needed healing. One of the things this couple tells me is that there's more to my sickness than just my scoliosis. and they bring up the fact that my mother is a lesbian. My parents divorced when I was very little. Um, but it's true. They tell me that um, some sins, like homosexuality, are so abominable that God doesn't just punish the sinner, but he can punish um, the kids of the sinner and the kids' kids of the sinner. So the, the, the gist of it is that I have scoliosis because um, my mother's a dyke. 
So the next Sunday, this couple comes over to my aunt and uncle's house, and um, I agree to um, let them heal me. And so everybody gathers around, you know, this couple, my aunt, my uncle, my cousins. Um, everybody puts their hands on me. They have um, anointing oil, and they anoint me with oil and pray, specifically praying to cast demons out of my back and, and to let me have a straight back. There was a part of my back, my lower back, that wearing the back brace caused me to have a uh, black and blue mark on my lower back. And I feel this tingling and this heat in, in my lower back where this back brace is. I take off the back brace at, at some point. I, I don't remember if I took off the back brace during the healing or afterwards, but I, I, I remember taking it off and looking down at my back and this black and blue mark was gone. And I remember just being blown away and, and, and thinking, you know, wow, God loves me. I mean, I, I believed at that moment that I was already healed. I believed that my spine was straight, even though I, I continued to wear my back brace every day. But I, I believed that God had already healed me. And that when I went home and went to my doctor again for my checkup, he would um, x-ray me as he always did, put the x-ray on the x-ray machine, see a straight spine, and look at me and say, Renee, I have no idea what happened. It's a miracle. And I would be able to say, you're right, it's a miracle. I went to my orthopedic surgeon for my um, my checkup, which happened twice a year. And I was x-rayed, and he came in, and he put the x-rays up on, up on the white light, and I could see, you know, clear as day, that my spine was still crooked in the exact same way, 23 degrees off at the top, 28 degrees off at the bottom. I mean, he, he didn't know what my expectations were. So he just sort of went through the checkup like it was, you know, very ordinary. Oh, come back in six months, looking good, you know, keep it up, keep wearing your back brace 23 hours a day. And I, I mean, I was just devastated. I remember kind of stumbling out in a daze from the doctor's office and going and sitting in the waiting room. I think I was waiting to be picked up and I just bawled. I cried and cried and cried and cried. I, I mean, I was disappointed by my family, but I was also disappointed by God because I, I mean I believe that I, I believe that I had been having this kind of intimate conversation and relationship with God and it was like he skipped out I would say within within six months of this experience if somebody would have said hey Renee are, are you a born-again Christian I would have said no I mean, interestingly, though, looking back on it now, um, 10 years later, you know, my, my back never got worse. I continued to wear my back brace 23 hours a day until I was 18, and uh, I never had to have surgery. So, so I guess the big question is, was I healed? Because, I mean, th this couple in Oklahoma City might look at me today and say, well, you're fine. You know, God did heal you. He just didn't heal you on the time frame that you were wanting to be healed on. You know, he was looking at the long term. But do I believe I was healed? No, I don't believe I was healed. Renee Gattel is a reporter and host at KJZZ in Tempe, Arizona. Frogs and butterflies, we've both been born again. 
I'm singing about bullfrogs and butterflies. We're both been born again. Come on, try it with me. Bullfrogs and butterflies. We're both been born again. I'm talking to Liz Mandra, Miss Liz. Um, she's telling me about her personal rebirth after getting MS when she was in her mid twenties. Um, and how that changed her life. And so later you started reading a lot. You started reading a lot about what you call parapsychology and reincarnation and rebirth. And you're telling me a little bit about your past lives. Tell me more. Okay. I've had 55 lives that I've been told about. That's a lot. That's a lot. So I'm an old soul. Tell me about one of your lives that you think is important to the way your life is now, that there are lessons and learnings that, or, or consequences that carry over to now. Oh, we were soldiers together. This is your husband, Lindy. Yes, we were brothers together. We had many lives like that. Um, but I was always the younger one. He was, uh, being the older one, would inherit all the money. And I never thought that was very fair. <laughs> so I was always trying to get one up on him which I have to really be careful of here. <laughs> In this lifetime, I have to say, uh-oh, watch it. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to learn not to be like that anymore. Was there ever a lifetime where you were the man and he was the woman? Oh, yes, I was going to tell you about that. A Persian lifetime when I was a man and he was the woman. And it was way back in the biblical times, evidently. I was a diamond merchant and would take trips in the big sailing vessels to other parts of the world. Not too far, because they still thought the world was flat, I guess. And uh, I'd take my time getting home. So and um, when he started to travel, everybody would say to me, does that bother you? He's gone for three days a week, or sometimes a week, or sometimes two weeks. And he said, no, it doesn't bother me. I said, when I was the man and he was the woman, I never hurried home. So even with him traveling, doesn't bother me at all. And it didn't. So men can be women and women can be men in past lives. We have a story to play about that, produced by Michael Fitzhugh, that is about a Buddhist woman whose own faith in reincarnation was shaken when she met a man who she might have known in a past life. So let's listen to that. I'm Kelly, and I've got a story about a past love, one that was uh, happened like five years ago, or according to him, may have happened like a hundred years ago. Kelly Daly wasn't looking for a new boyfriend when Machio, a quirky French masseuse, struck up a conversation with her in a coffee shop. But she needed some distraction, and at first with Machio, she clicked. We all know how that goes. And, you know, the whole idea of forbidden love or taboo attraction, who knows what, I think really sunk in with him <laughs> or, you know, because he was free and I wasn't. He was strange from the beginning, right? You imagine introducing yourself, hello, I am Makio. I dreamt I was a French African or no, I was an African man. Or He was adorable, though, entertaining. Makio told Kelly he swam with dolphins, and when she was tense, he tried to calm her down with slow breathing. To Kelly, he was a harmless fling. But 
Makio told her he was sure they were meant to be together. Why? A story from a friend about their past. So he calls up his friend and his friend says, you know, you guys have a history. And Makio later tells me this. What's the history? Well, in a past life, you two were lovers. And it was also forbidden for you guys to date because you were men. And that was unacceptable. At first, Kelly was touched. She liked the idea of being reborn with a past lover. It's nice when people, you know, make some history about you. It was almost, it was almost, I'll say it was a little romantic, too. Romantic, but odd. Kelly was also a little skeptical. It's kind of unsettling when somebody starts talking about past lives, and Makia was so sure about the whole thing. He just really wanted to go forward with this. You know, I've gotten all the signals and signs, and we were meant to be together, and, you know... Now, I guess, is the the chance that society will let us be together. And, you know, I'm black, he's white. Maybe there was still this struggle to overcome, like, you know, society not wanting us to be together. He was really just for it. Makio's certainty really bothered Kelly. She's Buddhist. Buddhists aspire to belief in rebirth, a return of a person's essence. But Kelly doesn't know if she's ever been reborn. She's still figuring things out, still trying to understand what it might mean to return to this world after dying. Mankyo tested her faith, and he moved her a step closer to understanding where the idea of rebirth fit into her life. I mean, I, I didn't believe it could happen in a million years, but you want to believe a narrative continues in some way. I don't know if that's just one piece of one memory that you can recall from your love life and, you know, a past life or a cause that you were always pushing or maybe you become a plant. Who knows? So I'm still getting information together. And maybe, you know, the story of Machio is part of that information, you know, collating, like, what do I believe about this life? Is it temporal? Do I get to come back? Does anybody get to come back? I, I, I don't know. This life this lifetime wasn't meant to be for Makio and Kelly's romance. What may have been forbidden in the past just didn't work in Los Angeles. Michael Fitzhugh produced that piece. This is B-Side. I'm Andrea Seabrook, and I'm talking to Miss Liz Mandra, my mother-in-law and a wonderful, amazing person. I want to talk to you a little bit about after your life changed that much, um, you got a mess, your body starts to change, um, and you start to explore a different kind of spirituality. You also were told that you probably shouldn't have children, right? Mm-hmm. And what you went ahead and had children anyway. That's it, because of one doctor that said it would be okay because uh, how our body changes each cell, each cell would change um, and redo itself, uh, that I would probably be fine. I just took care of myself and uh, he expected it'd be fine, so I did too. So the doctors told you that when you're pregnant, as a pregnant woman, your your cells are almost reborn all the time. Yeah. They stay new. Mm Mm-hmm. They renew themselves. That's kind of inspirational in itself, huh? Yeah, I like that. And you ended up having three children. Three. (laughs) 
Was was there anything difficult about having being pregnant? No. How can someone with <laughs> with MS have no problems? Well, that's where um, uh, faith comes into it. If you if you really think you're not going to have any, you won't. And uh, if you think you might, you might. And if you're sure you're going to, you're going to have a lot of them. We have another story um, from Sarah Bon. She just had a kid recently, a child named Max, her first child. And she found that for her, a perfectly healthy person, giving birth ha- was like an obstacle course. Let's see. It's um, about 8.45 a.m. on uh, Wednesday, May 19th. And lying here in bed, having a lot of um, cramping and a few contractions here and there. So in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, is this going to be the day? I don't know what this birth may look like because of having gestational diabetes, because of having had all this preterm labor. I had sort of made peace with the birth being anything you know it could be a natural birth it could be an emergency c-section you know it, it could be induced it could be anything so maybe thinking about birth might just be too challenging i don't know i don't know it's tuesday may 18th and uh Eric and I are here at Alta Bates Hospital. We're in antepartum testing, and this is our regular Tuesday appointment to come in and have the baby's heartbeat monitored to make sure he's doing okay. Looks great. <laughs> Anything else to say about this readout? Happy active baby yeah. with a few mild contractions. I didn't even feel them. No We're predictions. Yeah. No predictions, huh? No, no, no predictions. I'm not feeling a thing. You don't feel these? No. Yeah. I mean, looks very mild. <sighs> Let's see. It's Thursday, June 3rd. It's about 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I'm at 39 weeks in pregnancy. I've been told that if I don't have this baby by next Wednesday, I will be induced means going into the hospital and having an IV of Pitocin put in or something like that. And uh, in that case, then, you know, there'll definitely be a baby here in less than a week. Hi. Hi. You going to labor? Today. Oh, finally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Do I you sign him? Mm-mm, he so does. I'll sign him in. Okay, his name and call. then your name. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what I think it, never. Uh, we knew, we told, we've been telling you, I've been telling you we're coming over here soon, man. Yeah, they're going to induce me okay. because he's so he, big. You don't need one. He's special. He needs to stick. <laughs> Make a right and a left and good luck. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, the nurse put an IV in and she... Um, then started the Pitocin, and about, a, I don't know, 30 seconds into it, I had a massive contraction, and I kind of had two monitors on me. I had a fetal heartbeat monitor and a contraction monitor, and uh, I started to say to the nurse, I, I'm having a contraction, I'm having contraction, and she was 
holding the fetal heartbeat monitor in place and then she started moving it around and I was in the midst of the contraction so I didn't quite realize that she wasn't picking up a heartbeat for the baby and then she found a heartbeat but it was very slow and at that point she hit a button on the wall and a voice came over and said do you need help and she said yes and that's when I knew I was going to have a pretty unusual birth Hello, my love. <laughs> Hello, my mother. Hello. You're a mom. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, here we are. What's it is mom? June 4th. <laughs> it is June 4th. Our boy was born at 5.17 p.m. 7 pounds, 4 ounces, 19 and 3 quarter inches. Mom's happy. Mm. Well, Mom's really wacky. Mom's really wacky right now. Mm, yeah. <laughs> we'll go over and see baby, uh, baby in a minute. You did great. Thank you. We had to go C-section. <sighs> just a couple minutes after they put the Pitocin in. Not just any C-section. Emergency C-section. Well, very, very rapid. Rapid C-section. <laughs> in the moment, you know, while we were dealing with the baby's heartbeat and everything I refused to get scared for for one second I thought oh this this might not turn out well but overall I stayed really calm and when the baby came I was just delighted and I said to my OB afterwards you know I could look on this as a really bad experience and say oh this was traumatic and not what I wanted but instead I chose to look at it as a really positive joyful experience because although we had some stress and and turmoil in having the baby get through safely you know the end result is exactly what everybody wants which is a healthy baby and healthy mommy so it was really great and it was just extraordinary my husband was delighted that I didn't have to go through labor (laughs) so that's the story of Max's birth Sarah Bond and Max live in Berkeley, California. And you can see pictures of Max on the website, www.radiobside.org. This is B-Side. I'm Andrea Seabrook. And Liz, did anyone ever tell you how long they thought you might live? Uh, When they said you might die sooner because of MS. But here I am, my goodness. You've had some health issues in the last couple of years that have been pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand, I know, doctors have told you that that they don't expect you to even live much longer. And yet here you are even three years after that. Yes, here I am. Must be my thinking. <laughs> the thing that's so amazing is that they've been predicting your imminent death your whole life. Yeah. I wonder why. (laughs) I never thought of it like that, but they have. So what do they know? (laughs) What do you think will happen if you ever die, when you die? Um, Well, I'm going to go up, find out all the things I did wrong, and find out maybe some of the things I did right, 
Uh, I don't think I'll be an angel. I'd rather teach, I think. So I would either come back, and I think people will be really into reincarnation and rebirth and things by that time. They're going to need people to teach them. So I'll have to take some fast courses up there so I can teach them the right stuff. So maybe you're just... Your ideas are just a lifetime or two ahead of the rest of the people. Must be. <laughs> well, Liz Mandra, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And to you. I'm Andrea Seabrook. We've been talking to Elizabeth Mandra, Miss Liz Mandra, my mother-in-law, and also a survivor of MS of uh, more than 50 years. This episode of B-Side was produced by Molly Peterson and Lissa Mudd, Mia Lobel, Renee Gutel, and of course the senior producer is Tamara Keith. And I'm Andrea Seabrook. Join us next time. Mm-hmm.